Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. So you can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 and we're going to jump right in. We're going to jump right in. You see our first slide up there reminds us that last week... Last week, the Apostle Paul tells us to take off, oh, thank you. The Apostle Paul tells us to take off the old man. And I know you guys were paying attention when I was talking to the kids, but it's kind of like taking off some old raggedy clothes. Or yesterday, Diane and I spent some time working next door in a warehouse, and it's dusty and over there. And so after I came out and we were done over there for the day, took those clothes off, and I put some clean clothes on. I didn't want to sit on furniture with my old raggedy clothes on, right? The Apostle Paul says, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ when you become a Christian. That is encouraging. Um, That is hopeful. The message is that in Christ, the old man goes away and I become a new man. You become a new woman in Christ Jesus. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to talk about on the next slide, living my best life. That's a popular phrase nowadays. I think it popped up in our Bible study today, right? That about people on social media, right? Everybody's living their best life every day. Well, that's, you know what, that's just not so. You know, just, I'm not living by, anyway. So the Apostle Paul is gonna talk to the Ephesian church about how we, as followers of Jesus, can live our best life. So I'll tell you a little story first um, before we get started here this morning. I remember when my dad became a Christian. I think he was like about 35 years old, and I was old enough to see how my mom and dad lived, right? They weren't monsters, but they liked to have a little fun, right? My dad was a tough guy, truck driver. He drank beer, shot pool, and every now and then um, he beat up a bad guy. Uh, He really did one time beat up the bad guy in the neighborhood. So my dad was like a neighborhood hero, tough guy, cool guy, had some tattoos, he drank beer, took us fishing, right? My mom was a homemaker at the time, she was a great mom, but they would have card parties, you know, and and they get a little wild sometimes. I'm not gonna tell all my parents' sins, especially because my sermon's being recorded. But, but I remember that when my parents became Christians, when, when they said, Jesus has made me a new person, Um, That was really important to my dad and my mom, but I'm a boy watching his dad, right? And, And my dad grieved over his old sinfulness, and he wanted to be that new man. He wanted to be the dad who didn't, like, you know, curse in front of his kids, right? None of y'all do that. None of you parents do that. But, but some, you know, my dad wanted to be a good example to us kids. My dad wanted to be a godly man. And I remember that. And I also remember he did not do it perfectly, right? And so, so we deal with that tension. The apostle Paul is calling us to put off the old man and put on the new man. He's given us five instructions in this passage today and we are to take them seriously. And it seems like it could be a little bit of a hard message, but also remember that in Christ Jesus, if you're a Christian, you are a new person. The Holy Spirit resides in you, and God will enable you to do this. 
but there is a point where we do say, today I am going to obey the word of God by fill in the blank. So five exhortations, he calls them imperatives. We talked about imperatives, right? Hey, son, would you mind taking out the trash? That's not what my dad would say. Boy, take out the trash and don't forget, right? So that's the difference between a suggestion and an imperative, right? Don't sneak out the house or there will be repercussions. We snuck out the house. We learned what they were. But that was an imperative. Dad didn't say, oh, if you feel good, don't sneak. No, no. My parents said, don't sneak out the house or you're in trouble. That's an imperative. Okay. Paul gives us five of them here as we close out chapter four. And here's how he does it. He'll do negative, positive, and then he'll tell us why. Except for the second one. He flip-flops a positive and a negative. Just wanted y'all to know I was paying attention. I was paying attention. So the very first one, you heard it there in verse 25 when Anthony was reading the scripture on our next slide. Number one says this, be honest with one another. Remember, in order to have unity in the church, Ephesians is all about this church. We're called to unity. People who were far away from God have been brought near. Jews and Gentiles, people who look different from one another, people who worship God differently from one another, people who hated each other for generations and generations, come together in this thing called the church, and in Jesus Christ, a miracle takes place. We get along. Oh my. Get along in church? Yes, we get along. And we, we learn some things about tolerating one another. And it wasn't just putting up with one another, but it was learning how to love one another and be part of the unity in God's church. So, so Paul says, be honest with one another. But really, he says, laying aside falsehood, he's saying that in the present voice in the old language, because why? He wouldn't tell you to stop doing something unless something was going on. So folks, some folks, some folks, maybe just one or two, weren't being honest in the church. All right, they was lying. Stop lying, y'all. No, that's what Paul, so in a very stern way, Paul says laying aside falsehood. He uses the same words that he said, lay aside the old man. That's part of who you used to be, Charlie, he said to me, right? Charlie, stop lying. Sometimes the first thing I thought of was some of the ways I lied to myself, right? Oh, you're okay, Charlie. You don't have to worry about that little sin nobody knows about. Or, oh, you're okay, Charlie, that little bad attitude, you know, uh, God's not, you know, he's not too worried. No, but, but so one, flat out, in the church, something that will kill unity is if we lie to one another. He says, tell the truth. Now, you guys know some things about the truth. Uh, we can go to the next slide here. You know some things about the truth. One, and it's not up here. The truth can be hard, right? But we're also called earlier in the same scripture to speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth is hard. Speaking the truth in love makes me think twice about how I'm going to say something hard to you or how you're going to say something difficult to me. Why? Because my ultimate goal and your ultimate goal is for us to build each other up in the church and care for one another and love one another, not tear each other down. So, one, we see, remember, the first half of Ephesians, we get all the theology, right? Everything that God wants us to learn, the biblical principles. And then in the second half, we're putting them to work. We're going to work in the church. And so you remember in Ephesians 1.13, what did Paul say? He said, in him, 
you, us, also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. So why do we talk about that the gospel is truth? So the truth resides in you already as a follower of Jesus Christ. You surrendered your life to Christ in salvation. The gospel is truth. You have believed the truth. Secondly, in chapter 4, verse 21, we just talked about it last week. It said, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Jesus is truth. Jesus doesn't just give you some truth. He doesn't teach you the truth. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am. I embody that. That is part of who I am. Then Jesus shares himself with you and me in salvation. You and I, we know the gospel. We've accepted the gospel. We know Jesus. Thirdly, thirdly, 424, last week. So we're getting all this truth already, right? Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So here's what you and I know. We need to be honest with one another. We need to be truth tellers. And then he goes on and he makes sure that we understand what he's talking about. Here he says, speak truth with his neighbor. Uh, this is going to get good in a second here, but one, who is my neighbor, right? Um, anyone, anyone that I come into contact with, that's what Jesus teaches us in the Gospels. Not just if you live here on Green Mount Avenue or in the neighborhood, you are my neighbors. I love that. That's why I live here. Um, that's why Diane and I live here. Um, we want to be in our community. We want to have neighbors. You live here. I love it when our church, when I look out and our church looks like our community. So you really are my neighbors in our cultural sense. In Christ Jesus, we have, we have something going on between us. If you're a Christian, we're neighbors. If you just bump out, bump into me out here on the corner, you're my neighbor. Jesus said the people with whom you come into contact are your neighbor. Um, but now... We struggle with truth, not just in our own lives sometimes, right? Have, how many of you don't, don't, you don't have to respond. How many of you have been lied to? It hurt. Oh, yeah, okay, so go ahead, then. <laughs> yeah, we're not on TV. We're just being recorded. Um, it hurts, right? It's hard, especially the closer someone is to you, and if they, and if they are dishonest or lie to you, it hurts even more, right? And, and then what happens? You don't trust that person, right? Maybe I glossed over some truth because, and, and didn't tell the whole truth because it would make me look bad, right? See, we damage our relationships with one another. Then we start avoiding each other in the church. Then we don't want to talk to each other. Then we'll talk to somebody else about each other. Then we're going to get into that in a couple more verses. But there's one last thing I want to get to. He is quoting, he is quoting Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 16 in this passage and uh, I didn't get that. I was a little slow. I was a little slow on this one, y'all. That's why we're going to go there. Um, and it says, these are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. One, he says, we're to speak truth with one another. But you know what else he does? He calls out our leaders. He calls out the city and so, so Israel was a theocracy, so that was God and government, same place. He calls out the governmental leaders 
court was held, a lot of things were resolved. If two people had a beef, you would go to so-and-so at such-and-such a gate, and they would mediate your beef and work it out. If somebody owed you money or you owed them money and you got called out or you called someone out, the beef would be handled in the city gates. So what is Zechariah saying? Zechariah is saying our religious and governmental leaders need to be truth tellers and they need to tell people the truth. And when they govern us in the city of Baltimore and in the state of Maryland and in the United States of America, they need to be honest with the people and with each other downtown and in D.C. and in Annapolis because God's going to hold them accountable for that. Not only did, is Paul speaking primarily to the church, yes, but why does he quote Zechariah chapter 8? Because the truth needs to be told. And God's people need to lead the way in being truth tellers in our community. And when we are not, when we are not, those outside the community of our church who watch us, who aren't part of us, we do damage to the name of Jesus and our own reputations, but we do damage to the name and testimony of Jesus. So, man, I carried on too long. Don't y'all stop lying. That's what Paul said. Tell the truth with one another. Speak the truth in love. You know the truth because you know the gospel. Amen. Number two. Number two. Next in verse 26, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Listen, he tells us some good stuff. He says, deal with your anger deal with your anger i don't think so come as a surprise to any of you anger in and of itself is not a sin nope. right there is such a thing as righteous anger there's such a thing as just anger and not anger in and of itself is not a sin now it's not an excuse to indulge in it right and you know we're going to talk about that um, next slide please in psalm chapter 4 david is crying out to god he said god you met me in my distress he said he asked, he asked God to deal with his enemies on his behalf. Have you ever had an enemy before? Yep. Some of y'all honest. Were y'all mad at him? Yep. Hey, don't, don't answer this one. Did you want to do harm to him? You're not supposed to answer that one. So, so here's what happens here. No, I said don't answer the last one. So, so. In Psalm chapter 4, David's enemies have been messing with him, but he says, oh God, you met me in my distress. God, you were there with me. He even tells his enemies, y'all be careful about your anger because it's going to get you in trouble. That's what he tells them in Psalm 4.4. That's why uh, Paul quotes that in this verse. But in, in the slide here, oh, there it is. Um, he says, deal with your anger when you have been mistreated. We're going to come back to that in a minute, but that's hard, y'all. That's hard. When you are certain you have been mistreated, somebody crosses that line, breaks that boundary, does something cruddy. I'm using all the polite words, right? We're in church. It's hard. It's hard not to be angry. Now, Paul gives us some instruction, right? Timing is everything, guys. Timing is everything. Have you ever heard that before? You have. He says here... Um, Slow down, Charlie. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. It says deal with it. Deal with your own anger. And, and this was a, um, a common phrase back in the day that people used it, right? And you've heard it even outside the Christian community. It's a very popular phrase, right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? 
he gives us, remember, each exhortation, positive, negative, positive, and then the why. And he does. He says, do not give the devil an opportunity. So, so before I get carried away here, um, when we talk about timing is everything, we are. We have to deal with, sometimes I don't want to deal with it, right? Um, I've been married for 37 years. My wife just stepped out of the room, but she'll hear me. No. Uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes in a, in a marriage relationship, the other says something or does something, and they just make you angry. Don't let the sun. And people always gave us good marital advice. Deal with it before you go to bed. Don't let it fester. Don't let one, it'll grow. Secondly, it opens the door. You know, you ever, someone ever put the foot in the door to try to get in somewhere and you didn't want them to get in? It gives the devil, he puts his foot in the door of your head. Got that little, little door open there. You let the devil get in there and run around rent free. That's what happens. That's what happens. Then it messes with you here too. So the timing is important. And guys, that's hard. It's real hard. I'm going to share a verse with you in a minute because it'll show us that God understands that it's hard to do this, right? He says, so then uh, we are reminded in chapter 4, verse 2, that a Holy Spirit-controlled person can do this. He says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So if you are walking in the Spirit, you will be given the power and the opportunity and the ability to deal with your anger without sinning, but you and I still have to make the choice to do that. So um, the new you, we see that, the new man, the new woman, you are grounded in the truth. You are grounded in the truth because of the Holy Spirit. Next, um, excuse me, that's a spirit-controlled person in 4.2. Here's a hard verse, y'all. Here, we're going to do it now. Let's get over to hard stuff. Romans 12.19, I've had to deal with this in my own life. If uh, you want to know how much it impacted my life and how hard I still have to deal with it sometimes, ask me after the service and I'll tell you a story. Uh, I really will. It's just not appropriate for right now. Romans 12, 19 says this, do not let your anger consume you. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If I believe God, if I trust God, God's timing is not my timing. I want to do harm to that evil person right now. I have plotted and planned ways, me, you, I'm just saying we do these things as human beings, how I might do harm to someone. Or, or maybe even I have fantasized, one fantasizes or thinks about how one might take vengeance by removing someone uh, from among the living. See how politely I said that in church? What does the Bible say? No. Nope. Sorry. Sorry, Charlie. I did that. You don't get to do that. You don't get to do that. Why? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So God himself, God Almighty, sovereign creator of the universe is speaking. He says, Charlie, I'm in charge, not you. I will handle the wrath department, not you. You just have to trust me. And sometimes I say, no, God, it's going to feel good when I fill in the blank, exercise my own vengeance. No, it's not going to feel good. Well, I think it is. 
will I have a fleeting moment of pleasure? Maybe. Am I interjecting myself and saying God's not big enough to do his job, so I got to do it for him? Oh, my. Oh, my. So, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not let your anger consume you. We heard this last week or the week before. A believer who is controlled by the Spirit is angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. Oh, my. I like that, but I feel like I fall so short of it, right? Think about that phrase for a minute. So, be honest with one another. Deal with your anger. Number three, Paul says in verse 28, he says, work hard and do good with your hands. Uh, he says, go to work. Do he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. I told the kids the truth a few minutes ago. I did some shameful things um, as, a, as a teenager. Um, and, and I mean like 18 years old, right? 18, 17, 18 years old. I knew better. I did some shameful things, and I took some things that weren't mine. That's polite words. And I got in trouble for it. And I was really concerned that my trouble might cost me my freedom for, for, for a couple years. And if, if it had happened, I would have deserved it because I took some things that weren't mine from people to whom they belonged. All the polite words. I'm going to run out of polite words here soon. And I stole stuff. Apostle says, stop stealing, y'all. So, but let's put this into context historically here. Uh, let's contextualize this for just a minute. So back in the day, it would be easy for someone to lose their job because everything that worked around was agriculture, right? It was harvest season, everybody's working, everybody has a job. And when the harvest is in, people might lose their jobs. Then probably, most folks, they didn't make enough money to save up for the winter months when they would, you know what I'm saying? Like construction guys do sometimes, right? Men and women who work in construction. Um, so he might not even have the opportunity to save up or squirrel away for the future, right? And then he gets laid off, and he's got to go home and tell his wife and five kids that when the food that's in the, um, that's in the refrigerator runs out, right, um, that's it. He gets one more paycheck, so maybe next week they'll have some food too. But he just got laid off. What would this guy do? Sometimes these guys, they were poor, they were workers, but they would go out and steal. Why? They had kids. Did that make it right? Nope. Paul said there's got to be a better way. Hey, they didn't have, they did not have a welfare system in that society um, that cared for those who fell on hard times, even like we do nowadays. So what did the apostle say? He said, as hard as this is, this is a hard message he's saying to the people who become Christians and then lose their job and don't know where their next meal is coming from. Stealing is not the answer. He's also talking to some business owners, though, and some shopkeepers and some big farmers who would take advantage of the working people when times got tight and rip them off and not pay them their full wage or lay them off when he promised them he wasn't going to lay them off, right? So he's saying to the business owners as well, hey, y'all, stop stealing. Stop stealing from the working man. Stop stealing from the poor guy, which is even, well, we can't qualify sins. I won't, I'm trying to quantify sin here in a second. So, so in their society, these are the type of things that could happen, right? Um, I don't know. I don't know how much you and I um, need to talk about this, but in Ecclesiastes, right, um, Solomon says in all his wisdom, basically he says, it is good for a man to work with his hands and enjoy the fruit of his labor. He says, hard work is a good thing. 
I was in, I grew up in a house. My dad worked hard, my mom worked hard, and you know what? Um, they taught me that. Now, sometimes even that can become an idol, right? Because, because I could think I'm good with God because I work hard or because I'm honest, and, and that's not, y'all know better, we know better than that, but you can get caught up in that. But, but he says here, um, hard work is good. Solomon was the richest man that ever lived, so, so the Bible says, right? And he said, uh, hard work is good. Uh, secondly, we see here, hard work keeps one out of trouble. I mean, the Bible um, kind of implies that here, when he says, um, performing work with his own hands, what is good? It's a good thing to be busy working. It's a good thing to have a job. It's a good thing for a man, and in our culture, a man or a woman, right, um, to have something to do that provides for you and for your family. We also hear um, here, hard work enables you and me and enables us to share with others. That's important. Now, to the extreme, the Bible doesn't call you to give all your money to the poor, um, and nor does the Bible say ignore the poor and only take care of yourself, right? Somewhere in there, the Bible says, and he says here, to help those who have fallen on hard times. One of the reasons we exist here at Graffiti is um, those of you, when you give on Sunday mornings, um, some of that money, a portion of that money, it goes to help people in need. When we have food pantry every Friday, not because we're goodies or not because we want to pat on, but because we're obeying the scripture. Um, when you work hard all week and you give a tithe on Sundays, some of that goes to feed hungry people. Some of that goes um, at times. Some of that goes, uh, provides a presence where folks who are addicted can go get um, help and treatment. And because we're here, we help folks who are down on their luck when we have the opportunity. That's part of who we are here at Graffiti Church. Um, and, and I just say that because when you go to work every week and you give on Sunday mornings, some of that goes to care for people who are in need. Um, and that's what the Bible's talking about here. So he says, listen, work hard, do good. Um, we already talked about D. Number four. Building up others with my words. This is a hard one, guys. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Literally, listen, not one, the, the standard is not one negative, ugly word should come out of my mouth. Lord, have mercy. I'm in trouble every day, y'all. Um, I am a recovering smart aleck, and some days, some days I throw my recovery in the trash can. I don't even care. So you know how we say I came to my life was unmanageable, right? And I have a problem? Yeah, I have a problem and my life is unmanageable because of what comes out of here. I'm not kidding y'all, I was raised by a professional smart aleck. I even cleaned that up for you too. And then my family and my brothers and sisters, there were four of us, we took great pride in that. My brother and I would go to bed at night cracking jokes on people that we knew. Um, and we would crack jokes on people. We would laugh so loud we would get beaten sometimes because we would wake our mom and dad up and we wouldn't shut up. So I came from a family of smart Alex. Um, I still struggle with that. Uh, both of my children, because they are mine, they had a little bit of that in them too. Um, oh, okay. I didn't say that. So the apostle Paul here says, I need to build people up with my words, not tear them down. That means that requires more effort 
It's easy to say something ignorant to somebody, even if they deserve it. It's real easy to tell someone they did something wrong. It's real easy to tell someone that they're stupid. It's real easy fill in the blank. It requires effort, obeying the scriptures, thinking and praying if I'm going to build others up. Remember, one of the themes here in the book of Ephesians is love and unity in the church. If we're going to have love and unity in our church, how we say things to one another matters. We talked about doing it in love, tolerating one another. Doesn't just mean putting up with me, right? So, so we've already learned some of this, but Paul says the standard is not one unwholesome word, but only such a word as is good for edification, that's building others up. Even when we have to do or say hard things in the church, this is how it's supposed to be done. I tell you, my pastor, and one of the reasons I went and served under him for eight years was because he does this very well. And because he invited me and asked me to come and serve with him, that's one of the things selfishly as a pastor and as a Christian I wanted to do. I wanted to hear my pastor do that in leadership when he worked with difficult people. Every church has difficult people. You're in here. I'm a difficult person, and you're in here in church with me. So every church has difficult people. Y'all know you got at least one here. But, but my pastor was very good at that. He is very good at that. And that's one of the things I wanted to learn from him was how to do difficult things without tearing people down. Use my words to build others up and be an encouragement. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I have opportunities to do that every day. In our families, Lord have mercy, do our kids need that? How many kids in our city, we see some of our kids get involved in, in, in the darker side of life in our city and they're at risk and they're vulnerable. And some of them just haven't heard it enough that God loves them, that someone else loves them, that they are valued, that God values them highly. Listen, I tell some of our teenagers, and, and, and I, tell, I kid you not, man, I can't say it here because I'm being recorded, but a couple of teenagers, I always try to do it around my wife, right, because some teenagers, you don't know how they're going to respond. Well, but one of you say, oh, Pastor Charlie, you, and he would say something. I'd say, boy, I love you. He said, don't say that, Pastor. I can't tell you exactly what he would say, but it's kind of humorous. I said, no, God loves you, son, and so do I. Amen. Now, I made that mistake. He said, he said, I'm not your son. I said, you know what? Forgive me. I still love you. So a lot of times I do that, and I do it in front of my wife, right? But we tell the kids why, because some of them don't hear it enough. Some of them hear, some of them hear unwholesome words a lot. Some of them hear unwholesome word, you good for nothing. Again, we're in church, right? Keeping it clean, right? But your kids, my kids, your kids, they need to hear. Now look, not fake stuff, right? But we know how to build kids up in a real way. Tell them the truth, tell them the truth in love. But man, don't tear, the least we can do is not tear them down, right? And so the apostle says, look y'all, my words are powerful. My words can be dangerous, my words can be gracious. My words can provide something that is lacking. There might be something lacking in my life. The verse says that, right? Something lacking in me that you can provide because we're in church together and you build me up instead of tearing me down. Something lacking in my life that you will provide for me. And it doesn't matter. The playing field, the ground is level in church. The pastor's just the, the fool standing up here with a message that God gave him. But, but listen... Listen, you will, you will provide something that's lacking in my life. In a quiet conversation, when I'm walking in the spirit, my words that God gives me might provide something for you that's lacking in your life. 
That's how the Holy Spirit provides for us in unity, in love, in God's church. My words can cause grief and sorrow. We already talked about that. It's real easy. Uh, one of my favorite youth illustrations, I wish I had done it this morning. I used to go up in front of the kids and squeeze out a whole tube of toothpaste all over the, I'd put paper up here, but squeeze it out all over the thing. And then I would slam the toothpaste tube down and I would call on one of the kids. I'd say, hey, Derek, come up here and put that toothpaste back in there. See, we say things sometimes, it's too late. You don't get to take them back. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard. Because we can love Jesus and we can make it right. We can apologize. We can even change our ways. But that toothpaste isn't going back in that too. I think that might be one of the hardest things I thought about today. Uh, James 3, 3 through 12. If you're taking notes, jot it down. You can go there later on. I preached a 10-minute sermon in ninth grade. I was scared to death. I was a freshman in a senior Bible class. And this was my passage. Because I knew I had a dirty, filthy mouth. And I went to Christian school and I knew I was in trouble. And so James chapter 3. You can check that out sometimes. Number five, though, the last one, be kind, don't be mean. Be kind, don't be mean. Hurting people hurt people. Oh, that didn't show up there. I thought about it too late. Hurting people hurt people. Let me say that. It don't matter. It's the pastor. It's the councilman. It's the mayor. It's you sitting in your chair hurting people hurt people. If you're hurting, if you're hurting if you're hurting, cry out to God and ask someone for help. If you're hurting, there's places that you can go to heal. If you're, if you're experiencing loss and grief or depression or anger, man, God, God, will bring, God can bring healing into your life. But hurting people hurt people. I know I've done it. I've been the hurt-er and I've been the hurt-e. And neither one is fun. And some of y'all, you know what I'm talking about. Why? Next slide. Seriously, y'all, you know what? I mean, that is kind of funny, but maybe not. You know, the word he uses here, the word he uses here, let all bitterness. The word here in the Greek language is like a sharpness, like the point of an arrow. Bitterness. My bitterness is like the point of a sharp arrow. What does a sharp arrow do? It invades the body of something else and causes harm, right? He also says it's like putrid fish. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. Uh, I love to go fishing, and I don't do it that much anymore. We go out on a charter boat, and um, we catch rockfish all day long. Be so hungry when I can't wait to get home and get some of them rockfish fillet, right? But we would come back, and if I had an extra 20 bucks, I, the kids would hang around a pier, and you could pay them, and they would fillet all your fish. And there would be these 50-gallon trash cans, and the bones and the guts went in the trash can. And it's about 97 degrees out at the end of July, and you come back from fishing, and you walk down to the end of the pier for the kids, and you can smell that trash can a long ways off, especially if they didn't empty them often enough. Nasty, right? Paul says that's what our bitterness is like. You know what? When I'm bitter, you might be able to smell me coming. Man, bitterness is evil. It's nasty. Yeah. Putrid fish. And then you see the little emoji there. Yeah, he says it's like stinking it all up. So literally, that's what our bitterness is like. Hey, I'm not making that up. The, the, the words, that's the picture that the Greek words for bitterness, the Greek word for bitterness kind of um, make, makes up for us. So that's ugly, right? We could define all these words, and you don't want to spend another half hour here, but let me say this. He says here, bitterness and wrath and anger. Wrath and anger in there together. Raging, just raging, 
Next slide. Just raging anger. Sometimes when people have that raging anger, they shout, they yell, they scream, they cry, they talk and don't let you talk. They yell and make sure you can't talk. He says, put that away from you. For some of us, man, that's really hard. If you're telling me something hard, but you're doing it in love and in the truth, Sometimes, I've told you all this before, I put my hand over my mouth when I'm trying to be a listener and not a talker. I have to because I'm a talker by nature. That'll remind me to keep my mouth shut. Why? Because I might want to yell over top of you, tell you you're wrong, or change the subject. I have all kinds of strategies for being ignorant. Uh, uh, I had a PhD in ignorance. No, seriously, it's not a point of pride. But rage and anger. And folks, if you have had serious hurts in your life, and you wrestle with certain things, I'm not qualified to, to, to explain the acronyms, but folks who deal with depression and PTSD um, often rage when they are triggered. And those folks who wrestle with these things, many of them, most of them want healing in their lives, and it's just really hard to get a hold of. It's hard. And you rage and you yell. Sometimes, boom, man, all you see is red till it's over. And we had a rager in our home. And we learned that sometimes, even if he was tearing up the whole house, we had really, even though it was a terrible thing to do, we just knew we had to wait it out till it ended because nothing was going to stop it. He says all that type of anger, that's hard stuff, guys, to deal with. It is. But the apostle says, in Christ Jesus, as a new man, as a new woman, listen, walking in the spirit, being part of God's church, there is hope. And the message is that we could take off, take that off, just like we took off the old man. In Christ Jesus, when you put on the new man and the new woman, there is hope for healing in our lives. Amen? So then Paul says, put all that away from you. He includes slander, talking bad about people, just making stuff up. Man, just whether it's true or not, I'm just going to say everything I can about you, and I'm going to tell everybody who will listen, because I'm just going to tear you down, slander, just not telling the truth. Make, and some of it could even be true, right? You might have done some mean things, and I'm just going to tell everybody, because I want them to hate you as much as I hate you. Slander, right? Evil. But listen to what he does say. Here's the hopeful part. He says, be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. I am called to forgive you um, the same way that Jesus Christ forgives you. You are called to forgive me as people who know me. You're part, we're part of the church here together. You're my friend. You're my fellow believer in Christ. You are called to forgive me the same way Jesus Christ forgave you. Jesus Christ died, shed his blood on the cross, and went in a grave and was risen from the grave so that you and I could have forgiveness for our sins. That's how we are supposed to be willing to forgive one another. That's a hard message, y'all. I know it's a hard message. But Paul says, listen, we can show kindness, tenderness, compassionate, and be a grace giver. You know what a grace giver is? A grace giver is someone who is kind, tenderhearted, and compassionate when they don't have to be. I could be wrong as sin. I could just be wrong as wrong. And that doesn't mean you don't deal with the real issues. But I could be wrong as wrong, but you're a grace giver. You give me grace. You show me grace because you want me to see Jesus in you. You want me to have the same Jesus that you have, so you might show me grace. You're not dumb. You're not, you have boundaries. You're not going to let me harm you. But, but in Christ Jesus, 
you're going to show me grace because you know that God showed you a lot of grace. I need to show you grace because I know God showed me a lot of grace. Paul says, be kind, hearted, tender, compassionate, be a grace giver. You see the Galatians 5, 22 through 24 is, are the gifts of the Spirit. My friends, let me just wrap this up. Paul gives five difficult exhortations. He gives a negative, the positive, but then he tells us why. So that we have love and unity in our church community. So we know what the truth is. We walk in the truth. We live in the spirit. We're part of one another. But he says, stop doing these things. Take them off like your old dirty clothes and put on Jesus. That's what he's calling us to do. So very specific instructions to live in obedience as a follower of Jesus in his church for me and for you. Let's go to Lord in prayer.